0: Our office will be closed tomorrow, again, to celebrate the bowl games, and um, but uh, we'll be open from Tuesday on through the rest of the week, back to business as usual. Of course, we'll have our study on Wednesday night in the book of Proverbs, as we're one of these days, we're going to work our way through that book, it's taken more time than I ever expected, but that means that there's been some really good stuff that the Lord's Calling our attention to, and so that's been a blessing. Um, let's see, college and career group won't meet tonight because of New Year's Eve, but our singles fellowship is hosting a party here from eight thirty, no eight o'clock until twelve thirty, and it's not just for singles. They're just setting it up. Anyone is welcome to come on out and see the new year in. Uh, they say to bring a dessert. They'll provide the beverages and. I'm assuming that's non-alcoholic, but, you know, don't bring booze, okay? Um, That wouldn't be good. But you're invited to come on out, or if you're like me, just go to sleep, and you'll wake up when you hear the noise and go right back to sleep. But we've got that going for us. Um, The women's ministry starts up again this week, so Tuesday night at 7.15 or Friday morning at 9 a.m., uh two opportunities for you ladies to come out and participate in that study and you don't have to feel like well i haven't done it before so i shouldn't come now you can come anytime you can come whenever you can you can miss weeks or you can start up at any time you're all welcome to come to one of those we do it twice a week to make it as convenient for you as we as we can um also, there's a men's softball team that's starting up, and they're, they're going to be in a league that's on Monday night, so the bulletin has information on who you call to sign up for that, and I know that'll be a great time of fellowship and competition. Um, men's campout in February, the 23rd and the 24th, men are going to be going to San Clemente State Beach for a uh, campout, and this morning they're taking sign ups for that, so if Guys, if you think that you'll be participating in that, it's a great like father-son opportunity or whatever you might want to do just to come out and hang out with guys. Um, look in the foyer and there will be someone taking sign-ups for that. Also, um, we're collecting blankets and jackets and warm hats and things like that for the homeless. So if you have some of those around, maybe you have a surplus of clothing and you have to find a place to hang all the clothes that you got for Christmas, uh, you know, and you got to move some stuff out. You know, it's getting warm now for us <laughs> compared to, to people who live outside all night. And so think of them. And, you know, if you have two jackets, do you really need two warm jackets? Um, think of people who don't have any and we'll be getting them to them. So keep that in mind. The conference room is where we collect those and we're taking them and delivering them. I think that's... All of the announcements, great. So let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. On Sunday mornings, we've been working our way through the book of Philippians, this book about joy. It's a book about how to live life in a way that it works and that that you're appreciating it and enjoying whatever comes along in life and even in the midst of trials, how you can be experiencing the, the joy of life. You know... When you're a little kid, the whole idea of the meaning of life is very simple. For a child, the meaning of life is survival. I'm hungry, I want to eat. I hurt, I'm going to cry. I'm lonely, I want someone to hold me. I'm wet, I need to be changed. And basically, as we grow older, that begins to adjust somewhat. It's still a lot of it is about survival, but we start to think of, well, what are you going to be when you grow up? What do I want to do with my life? And often we have big ideas of what we want to do, and basically then the meaning of life centers around what would be fun for me or what would pay well for me. As we make further adjustments growing up, sometimes we discover that the thing that we originally wanted to do and thought would be fun just isn't going to happen, or maybe it's not as fun as we thought it would be, and then we stumble on something else, and next thing you know, your life is kind of taken up for you, doing what you need to do again for survival, to pay the bills, to support yourself, and we kind of go through life living for maybe weekends and vacations, and we don't think all that much about what's life for, what's the meaning of of my life, and Until some people go through what is sometimes referred to as a midlife crisis. When someone comes to a point where they go, wait a minute, a chunk of my life is over. I've lived, I've accomplished certain things, I've failed at other things, but what does it really matter? What does it really mean in the overall scheme of things? Am I doing something with my life that's really worth living? Am I living life in You know, adjusted to fit with the set of values that I have. Does my life matter? When I'm gone, is there going to be a legacy? Will I have made some sort of impact? Or will I just have spent my whole life trying to increase someone's corporate profits or just trying to keep a roof over my head and food on the table? The Apostle Paul was a guy who went through a radical midlife crisis. His life started out really well. He was born into a good family and he knew from a very early age what it meant to be a Jewish boy. His name was Saul at the time. And Saul went through life and he learned to obey like most children do. The first lessons that we learn as kids is what's right and what's wrong. What are we supposed to do and what are we not supposed to do? What do we touch and what do we not touch? so Saul was that way. The Jews had lots of rules, and Paul became a good boy, followed those rules. He, he pursued what was the most honorable profession of his day and went to school to become a theologian, to study about God, to, to learn about God's word and what God had said, and that was, a, that was something for which I'm sure his parents were very proud of him as he became a teacher of the law. But in his, you know, fulfillment of that job, one of his challenges was some heretics, some new cult that had started called Christianity. And these people were rocking the boat of the Jewish world. And if what they were saying was true, everything he had worked for would become more or less meaningless. And so with a great zeal, Saul of Tarsus began to reach out and to refute Christianity at every opportunity, to inflict suffering and pain on people who would promote Christianity, and in that he was a hero of many people. A lot of other people were afraid of him, but something radical happened in the middle of his life. He was on the fast career track, but he was on his way up to Syria, to Damascus, to do what he was doing. He was persecuting Christians. He was going to help crush this crazy cult of Christianity. But on that road, something radical happened. You could read all about it over in the book of Acts chapter 9. But as he was riding along, a light came out of heaven, knocked him off of his horse, blinded him completely. And as he lay there on the ground, he heard the voice of Jesus come from heaven and say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And that rocked his world. Now all of a sudden a huge paradigm shift. I you I'm I'm persecuting you. And he made this most incredible statement, the best statement any of us can probably make in life when he called out into heaven and said, "Lord, what do you want me to do?" In a sense he was saying What's left of my life? What I've done so far has been flipped upside down in this moment, in this epiphany. But what's left of my life, I want to know what you want me to do. And boy, was his life radically changed at that point. His name was changed, his ministry was changed, and all that he had done before had become really pretty obsolete. He began to live his life planting churches and preaching the gospel, writing probably 14 books of the New Testament, an incredible midlife crisis in which the direction of Saul's life was changed from going down the path that he had been on to heading off on this new path that he was on. And Paul here in Philippians 3, and a couple of weeks ago, we looked at where he talked about all that he had had up until this point, and he said, I wrote it off, I counted it as loss." Compared to what I found in Jesus Christ, what I had before was like raw sewage. I started over in a radical way because now I decided it's just about knowing Jesus. It's getting to know Him and having a walk with Him that was all I cared about anymore. And he said, it's so worth it. Making that decision, making that change was the best thing I ever could have done. Now, as we continue here in Philippians 3, Paul doesn't just leave us with that because it's one thing to say, everything I had counted as done, and now it's just knowing Christ. And you go, great, sounds good, right? I mean, who wouldn't buy into that? But how does that actually work in life? What does this actually look like? How does it flesh itself out in terms of the day-to-day decisions that we make and, and how we take direction from the Lord. And so Paul continues here in chapter 3 to give us a little more detailed description of how he found his purpose in life, how he found his focus, and how the direction of his life was completely changed. At the beginning of a new year, you know, what's the difference? 2006, 2007, it's one day after another, and yet We create years to remind us of this cycle that we go through in life. It's nice to think, okay, it's the end of the year. Now I get a fresh start. It's a good thing. The Bible says that God's mercies are new every day. But at the end of the year, we start to look at 2006 and go, okay, how'd we do? And then we start to look at 2007 and go, okay, what do we do? What's this year going to hold for us? But Paul, after talking about counting everything as nothing compared to knowing Christ, beginning with verse 12, Philippians chapter 3, he says, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended or arrived, but one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. There in verse 12, in the end of the verse, he gives a little statement that summarizes for us what it means to look at your life and go, what's the point? And he said, I'm pressing on so that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also has laid hold of me. In other words, God picked me. He created me. He had a purpose in my life, and I want to be what he wants me to be. I want to figure out, what am I here for? What's the real meaning of my life? Where does significance lie in terms of me and my life? It's that sense of feeling like, you know, I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to just go through the motions and not end up where I'm supposed to be. And this was Paul's heart. This was his crisis, and it should be ours as well. I mean, do you really want to just survive life? Because guess what? If survival is your goal, you're losing. You're heading in the direction of not surviving. One day, unless Jesus comes and takes us before that, we're all going to come to a point where our life is all spent. It's all worn out, it's all used up. And so do we want to look at that gift of life and say, eh. "Oh, well, Easy come, easy go. Anybody who thinks life is easy come, easy go, I don't know what life you're living. You certainly haven't watched a a mother in a delivery room. It doesn't come easy. It really doesn't. And it doesn't get much easier all along. If you're going to go through life, don't you want to be able to look at it and have some satisfaction and go, I think we got somewhere. I think I made a difference. And so Paul is saying, I want to find out what that divine purpose is. I want to find out what my life is supposed to be, and then I want to get a hold of it and live that way. As he goes through this discussion, it gives us some real clues for ourselves as to how to discover the purposes of God in our life and and how to live a life that matters, that's worthwhile. One of the first things that you notice is Paul's making it clear, this isn't something that you arrive at until you're dead and then you're in heaven with the Lord you're risen from the dead but he said this is something that in verse 12 I haven't already attained and I'm not already perfected and in verse 13 I don't count myself to have apprehended in other words Paul is saying what I'm talking about the life that I'm describing for you it's not a destination it's really a journey It's a process. It's a a path that you are on. The question is, are you on the path, heading in the direction that's going to cause your life to have a meaning and a purpose to it? Or are you off track or heading the wrong direction or going in a way in which basically your life is being wasted? But it's good for us to remember that it's a path, not a destination, because otherwise we can become really discouraged with where we are right now. I can look at my life and just go, I'm not getting anywhere. I don't like where I am. Hey, but it's a path. The important thing is to keep moving. We see, as there's so much football on TV right now, we we see that there are certain people that seem to have a drive that even when they're hit, they have the ball, they're running the ball, they cut back, they move through the line, people grab a hold of them. The really good runners keep their legs pumping And it's amazing. Sometimes they'll break tackles and head down the field for a touchdown. But some of these guys, even when they're on the ground, it seems like they're still trying to run. They have that kind of desire. Understanding that life is a process, not just a destination, helps us to keep moving, to go, I'm not going to quit. It's not over yet. I'm just on the path. And even when you're on a path and you get distracted or you get lost or you fall down and get hurt, As long as the path is there, you can keep moving and ultimately know that the destination set before you is out there somewhere. But if you're off the path, you could be walking in circles and not even realize it. And there's nothing more frustrating than walking in circles with your life and not getting anywhere. So Paul says this isn't a place that you need to be, an epiphany that you need to experience. It's a path that he said, for me, started on that Damascus road and this is a path that has led me all over Europe all over the Middle East and one day at a time I'm doing what God is calling me to do and I haven't arrived yet but I keep my legs pumping I keep moving I continue to progress now in pointing that out he he reminds us and lets us know too that there's a focus that he has He says, this one thing I do. After saying, in verse 13, I don't count myself to have apprehended. I'm not there yet. But he said, but one thing I do. He said, the thing that's changed in my life most is that I have a focus. I know that there is one calling. There's one point. Now, so often when we're trying to fix our own lives, New Year's comes and we make all sorts of resolutions. 2007 is going to be different than 2006 And this way and this way and this way, and we come up with big lists. And I'm not down on that, and I'm, you know, I'm not uh, discouraging you from doing that. Although, you know, I had a thing when, when I was cleaning my, going through my files a couple of years ago, I found some resolutions that I had made a few years earlier. I think it was in 1994. And I looked at him and I go, well, I haven't done any of this stuff, but this is a pretty good list. I think I'll try to do it this year. And that's what happens. We're trying to do so much that we don't really know what we're really supposed to do. We try to make up for a lack of meaning with a variety of activity. We think if I try enough things, maybe something will work. And, and that's frustrating and discouraging. Paul had figured it out to really just one focus that his life had. And that's a good thing for us. It delivers us from that frantic amount of activity whereby we just have to do so much hoping that something will matter. But as he talks about how he figured that out, he says, first of all, I'm forgetting those things which are behind. In order to keep my focus, I'm not going to become distracted by the past, in other words. Now, earlier, Paul had said some of those things that he had in his past were great things. In fact, for Paul, the past, for the most part, was an incredible success. Great education, righteousness in his life, a lot of esteem on behalf of anyone who knew him. And so it would seem like, God, why would you want to forget that? That's a great thing. But remember, Paul also had some other things in his past that once he became a Christian, they no doubt became horrible memories for him. He was there when the first martyr of the church, Stephen, was stoned to death. He was the one who was in charge. He watched as that godly deacon of the first century church was having rocks pounded on him and as he died looking up into heaven seeing jesus standing at the right hand of the father and seeing stephen praying for mercy for paul and appealing to god for god to touch him that prayer was answered in the case of paul but imagine as paul the young apostle probably no doubt meeting stephen's family at somewhere along the road and realizing I did this to you. I took your daddy away from you. took your husband away from you. Me. I meant well, but that's no consolation for you right now. I imagine that for Paul, some of those memories that he had must have been horrible. And you really can't forget the past. We can talk about forgetting the past, but you remember, you know what's happened. You get back into that mode and there it is. He's not just saying, mentally, don't remember what happened. But what he is saying is, if you're going to keep your focus with your life, you cannot base your future on your past. You need to release the past, good, bad, or indifferent. See, the most dangerous thing that you can do in terms of wasting your life is to allow your past to define your future. For some people, their past is is a memory of failure. heartache from as early as you can remember people telling you you're not good enough people communicating in one way or another that you have no future you have no potential other people their past is a reminder of everyone telling them about their great potential but as they get older they're very aware of the fact that i don't think i've met that potential I must be a huge disappointment to those who believed in me and supported me and encouraged me. Some of us, great opportunities, squandered. And the past is like an albatross hanging around our neck and just reminding us constantly that we are failures. And Paul would say, you know, we all have those things we aren't proud of in our past. Let go of them. You can't let that define your future. You're on a path. You can move forward if you will allow God to work in your life. So let go of the past. Now, what about the good things in the past? We certainly want to hang on to those. Man, when we finally get it right, we finally do something that's good, maybe we are successful in a certain area of life or profession, and boy, we want to let everyone know. We want to hang those trophies and plaques and let everyone know who we used to be that's a sad way to live life as well because how do you keep topping yourself does it really make you feel that good to to say to people yep i had the high school sprint record i ran the 100 yard dash 9.3 seconds and they look at you and go you gotta be kidding you ran at all (laughs) does it really make you feel good you know, yep, I was half the man then that I am. And, yeah. I mean, does it, really, does it really make you feel better about me if I told you that I used to get in trouble at school because my hair was too long? It's like, oh, great, but what have you done lately? It's, it's such a funny irony. When I think of people who pulled me aside and told me that with all that hair, I looked like a girl, Nobody says that anymore. Nobody would accuse me of looking like a girl anymore. Um, So I'm getting somewhere. But the point is, is that how you want to live your life, based on what you've done in the past? Because people will always compare what you did in the past to where you ought to be now. And they say, you know, Man, if you were a great sprint champion, today you ought to be a wide receiver for some great NFL team. Well, somewhere along the line, bad knees, uh, you know, needed to go to work, uh, got my wife pregnant, and yep, here I am. (laughs) Let go of the past. I don't care how good it was. I don't care how wonderful it was. For some of us, our greatest memories of the past are of God doing vital things in our lives, maybe in a young church where fresh things were happening. And, boy, you know, I think of back in the early days of Calvary Chapel and being a new Christian and just seeing how exciting it was. And, you know, if I hang on to that, I'll never be satisfied with what God does in the future because the hippie movement isn't coming back. It's just not going to happen. As much as I would like it to, it's just not going to happen. The past is past. And Paul said, if you're going to keep your focus, you better get your eyes off the past. Don't let your past determine your future because God has a much better plan for you than the world would have for you. If you begin in the spirit, don't be made perfect in the flesh. Don't assume that because this and this and this have happened in your past, that somehow that tells you what your future is. The reason, one of the reasons why we can't get into a groove because of our past is because God has a real weird way of doing things. He loves to surprise us. The, the path that he has us on has all these twists and turns, and we'll miss it because we have to depend on him. Or we're done. We're lost. He is the only one who can lead us through this maze that we call life. And so Paul would say to all of us, you know, you have good memories and you have bad memories. There are people who love you and people who hate you, but get over it. Move past it. If you have your eyes in the rearview mirror all the time, you're going to crash into something that's in front of you. Don't live your life tied to the past. Whatever it is that's in your past, Let it go, good or bad. Don't rest on your laurels. Don't be defeated by by past failure. Forget what's in the past. And so he says, that's one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And then he says, and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Moving forward, advancing in life, going somewhere, having direction. You know, again, It's so important for us to not be now here at the end of 2006 and now spend the early part of 2007 worrying about what happened in 2006. We need to move on. We need to be committed to moving forward. I saw a cool thing on, we were watching, I think it was Primetime Live this week, and they did a little feature on a a small town in Texas and their high school football team. And if you've never been to Texas during high school football season, it's unbelievable. I mean, they they have bigger crowds come to high school football games in Texas than come to professional football games on the West Coast on a good day. It's amazing. But they went to this little town and they talked about the different players and told their stories. The head coach for many years of the team had recently passed away and his son took over. This was his first year as a head coach and they talked about his family and the players and they would get injuries. And it was a fascinating just little story. But the motto kind of that they had for their team had been started by this coach who had, who had passed away. And, and what he always said to his team is, the most important play in a game is the next play. And so whether they had just fumbled the ball and had a turnover, whether they had just scored an 80-yard touchdown... He got the players together every play and said, what's the most important play? And they said, the next play. And they played their game that way. And at the end of the game, he got them all together and said, what's the most important play? And they said, the next play. And he said, the next play is when you go shake hands with the other team and congratulate them. We won this game, and you need to do it in a gracious way. And then after that, the next play is going to be the first day of practice and how we prepare for the next game. That's kind of what Paul is talking about when he's talking about forgetting what's behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. We've got to move forward. We can't be dragged down by the past, by what's come before. We need to keep moving. The next play is the important one. It means it's not where you end up at the end of 2007. Who knows, maybe the Lord will come back before 2007 even starts. The next play is today, still 2006. What are you going to do with this day? What do you want God to do with you during this day? So it's this focus that says, you know what? I'm on a path. The past, I release it completely. I will not live as a slave to my past. And I'm moving forward. I'm reaching forward to what lies ahead. And he goes on to say, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He said, what I'm doing, there's something I'm listening for, and it's a call that comes from heaven. I want to hear from God what he wants for me. Paul had heard the voice of God once in a very obvious way, and it changed his life. And after that, he lived his life saying, I need to hear from him. What is his calling on my life? What is his voice? What does it want to communicate to me? And he said, that's what I'm listening for. See, our lives are full and cluttered with all sorts of voices and all sorts of input. And none of them come from up there. They all come from down here, those horizontal voices those human voices those voices that come from your past the voice of fear the temptation that comes from the world and the flesh and the devil and our ears are ringing with all of the input but paul said you know what i want to hear one voice i want to hear that upward call of god and it's in christ jesus i know if i follow that voice i'll get to him I know that he is the one that I've decided is worth giving up everything else for. And the drive and desire of my life is to hear his call coming from heaven, to hear the voice of heaven speaking to me on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis, telling me where the path goes next. What do I do now? Where do I go now? And I realize I can trust him. And Paul would say, that's it. That's the deal. That's how life for me has discovered a meaning and a fulfillment and a joy and a peace and a love that I never could have had otherwise. I connected with the voice of heaven. He goes on to say there in verses 15 and 16, he says, Therefore, let us, he goes, let's do this together. As many as are mature, if you've grown up enough and you have this mind, you've figured this out, If anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. So he's going, I hope you start to discover this. I hope you go through your midlife crisis of faith and realize that hearing from God is all that matters. But he goes, you know what? Don't worry. God has ways of speaking to you. And if you don't get it right now, you'll get it later. Sooner or later, you're going to discover how futile all of the other voices are. And God will force you, if he has to, to release everything except him in your life. So he goes, it'll happen. You'll grow up, don't worry. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let's walk by the same rule. Let's be of the same mind. In other words, Paul is saying, you know, I'm not telling you to do something that's completely foreign to you. I'm not speaking in a language that you don't understand. Paul would say, you know what? You guys have all experienced this. And it's true, you have. Even if you've never become a Christian, you know there are certain decisions that you made in your life that it was just like somebody else was driving. You saw the hand of God as he was leading you and directing you. For many of us, for, for most of us, the most profound time was that day when God said, I love you. And that soaked in. We realized that he wanted to know us and live with us and talk to us be in fellowship with us. But Paul is basically saying, you know, sometimes you've done it this way and sometimes you haven't. Sometimes you've followed God's heart and sometimes you've heard that voice from heaven. And a lot of other times you listen to other voices and it slowed you down and it delayed you and it's sucking the value out of your time and your life. So he's saying, Get in touch with those times when God really spoke to you when you really heard from him. That was when it was happening right. And that is how you are to live your life. To live your life to hear from him. To live your life not locked into your own preconceptions, to your own plans and visions and dreams. To not be a slave of the past. Well, this is who I have been, so therefore, this is who I am. But to say, you know what? All bets are off. I'm going to flush everything that came before today. It doesn't matter anymore. Today, I want to hear the voice of God from heaven. Today, I want to know his call, his purpose for my life, what he wants to do. It's hard to let go of things that are valuable to you. But the thing that's the most valuable to you, you can't have unless you let go of what you already have in order to get there. Clear the slates, clear the table, start fresh with him. That upward call of God, it's in Christ Jesus. That is what will make your life worthwhile. That is what will bring meaning and purpose to your life. Anything else, it's just chaff. It's just garbage. It's not worth living for. The only life that's worth living is a life that's tuned into the voice from heaven. Get back in touch with that. Maybe it's been a long time since you've heard from God. Maybe you've just gotten in a rut and you're stuck in the routine of just what your life is about. I want to encourage you. Paul would encourage you today. Get your focus back. Stop being distracted by things that don't matter, that won't fulfill you, that won't that aren't worth living for, and listen to the voice from heaven and be willing to do whatever he tells you to do. That's the way to live. It's the only way you'll be focused. You'll be confused and flipped upside down constantly if you can't get a grip on that. This morning as we will be celebrating communion, the elements that, remind us of the body of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, sacrifice that he made for us, the life that he gave for us, and the way that he wants to be involved in our lives and participate in our lives. Communion is a beautiful thing, and sometimes we think of communion as the ultimate looking back. But communion isn't about looking back. When we look back, we see Jesus on the cross saying, it's finished. I accomplished it. It's not about looking back. It's about looking forward. And that's why Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me until I do it with you again. So it's not a toast to the past, but it's an invitation to the future to say, you know what? Because he died, I have a future. Because he took care of my past, I can move into the future. The next play, that's the one that matters because he's taken care of everything behind me. That's what his death meant. That's what communion means. He says, I've got your back. I've got you covered. You move forward in a newness and a freshness of life and a relationship of listening to my voice and hearing from me. I want to be such an intimate part of your life. Everything will change, and it will be so worthwhile when you do it. So communion demonstrates that sacrifice that made it possible for us to face the future. It makes it possible for us to forget the past, and that gives us a focus on what do we do now, the upward call of God. As the men come forward to hand out the elements, hang on to your bread and your juice until we've all received it.